I want to look under the hood. I don't want to be a marketer that sits behind a, a series of spreadsheets or, or looking at MarTech solutions. Welcome to MarCast, the Marketing Mag podcast series. Today is part one of Dave's chat with Rick Navarro, newly appointed VP of Marketing and Business Development at Nucleus Network and winner of the Australian Marketing Institute's CPM of the Year Award for 2019. Dave and Rick will chat Nucleus Network and Rick's experience of finding out what it means to bring a career's experience into a new role and vertical. Anxiolytic etifoxine and enteric-coated polymer barriers Mm -hmm. are all part of just another day in the labs of Nucleus Network, the largest early-phase clinical trial facility in Australia, supporting the complex needs of a global client base with pharma and biotech customers in the USA, throughout the EU and across Asia, especially China and Japan. Supporting those complex needs, clearly the marketing challenge is immense, which is why it's home to one of Australia's most respected marketers. I'm thrilled to welcome Rick Navarro to the Marcast mic. Rick, g'day. G'day, David, and thanks for the welcome. Now, Rick, I know a journalist can become a great marketer, but would a novelist be a good marketing hire? Charles Dickens' Great Expectations could be the slogan of our time. Fitzgerald's Gatsby illustrates the power of perception and just how far a good hustle can take you. And Max Walker left us the classic How to Hypnotise Chooks. So a question. Question one. You're recruiting a new marketing manager and Dickens, F. Scott Fitzgerald and Max Walker are the shortlisted applicants. Which one would you offer the job? (laughs) A loaded question to begin. I would have to go with Dickens because he's a personal favourite. I think to your question, though, and more to your point about a novelist and a writer becoming a marketer, I think for me that's that's a given. Uh, I would see that as a natural transition. We're talking about a skill set that is, I think, in demand and probably underprovided within the marketing profession within Australia and globally. Ultimately, marketing is about storytelling, the yep. essence of being able to tell a story to your potential audience. And I think we need that craft more than ever. So it's Dickens for me. Now, we might come back and unpack that storytelling a little bit later, but um, let's start at the start. You're fairly new to your current role, is that right? So a couple of months in, and it's an interesting journey to date because it's a Greenfields role. So it's really coming into an organisation that has a real feel of a startup. It's been in operation for uh, four or five years, rolling out of a not-for-profit environment. So it's actually now moved into a commercialization phase. It's a really exciting phase for the organization and it's seen phenomenal growth. So it is actually a really good Australian science success story. And we're talking about an organization that is first in human testing. So clinical studies are conducted by us on behalf of Big Pharma, on behalf of biotechs and on behalf of clinical research organizations. From a marketing perspective, this creates an enormous opportunity and creates an appetite for a marketer to want to get their teeth into something that is, as we were saying before, not selling retail goods or not selling white goods or not selling groceries, for example. So from a marketing perspective, what is it that is at the heart, and pardon the pun, is at the nucleus of what is required to sell this service? We're a unique business too because we are 
essentially selling our services to those clients I've mentioned earlier, but we're also looking for participants. So we have this B2C yeah, stream. Okay. Yeah. So we need to market and we need to be empathic to an audience that is going to be um, first in human tested for a lot of the medications which we're trialling. So that creates a real tension between the need to create uh, storytelling for a B2B audience and a narrative that is going to be compelling enough for participants to want to come to us and really be part of our trial for a variety of different clients. Yeah, great. All right. Let's, we, might, we might talk about a few of those challenges that you've identified. I think, but before we do that, I'm, I'm really interested, quite often we get to interview marketers that are well into their role, that they've been there two or three or four or five years, and so you, you, we get a different perspective. I, I think the, I, the idea that, you know, you've only been there a couple of months gets me to ask a question that I think is a really interesting one to many of our listeners, which mm. is what do you actually do in those first 60 or 90 days in a new organisation? And this is going to be fresh in your mind because you've just been through it. Where, did you, where do you start? Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, I think there's a temptation to rush in and say, look, this has worked previously. I know what I'm doing. I'm a senior marketer. Guys, just sit back and listen. We're going to do this. Um, totally the wrong strategy and approach. I go in with the ability to sit back and listen. And I think... The observation that you make in those first 60 to 90 days is critical. Having lots and lots of meetings, having lots of discussions, immersing myself in a totally new industry as well. So just learning the vernacular itself is a challenge. Uh, you had some interesting terms at the, um, at the outset of this podcast. So really it's about listening. It's about identifying those quick wins and opportunities, but starting to work on the strategy. So for me, it's about that big picture strategy. And I'll tend to use the traditional 60-40 method, so 60 long-term branding and 40 on short-term. That's still to be worked through at this stage. Um, yep. I'm, I'm sort of contemplating whether we need to actually focus more on the short-term, contrary to, to that sort of popular mix, yep. because of that participant marketing side. So it could be an equal split between what we look at long-term branding and short-term wins. So... I suppose that's a roundabout way of answering your question no, to say answer. I'm looking, I'm observing, I'm listening, and I'm asking a lot of questions at the moment. And I think it would be somewhat arrogant of me to walk in to a brand new organisation and set forth on a marketing strategy that's perhaps worked elsewhere and make assumptions about a business that is is really growing at a rapid rate. Yeah, a arrogant and perhaps naive, but also tempting, I imagine, and particularly perhaps for a younger, less experienced market, I imagine there is a sense of pressure in oneself, but also in the organisation that they're asking for answers immediately. Yep. Do you, is, there, is that true? Is that, or? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a natural temptation, obviously, from a C-suite or senior executives when there's a senior hire that's been made to want to get quick results. And that's, that's a temptation and a I think, a failing point where a lot of organisations fall into and a lot of senior leaders fall into. So there needs to be some time for that individual to get to know the landscape. And as you say, for a younger marketer, they, there may be some sort of pressure or temptation to focus on those short-term wins, which look great for a year or two, but we're talking about long-term brand equity. And sometimes it's not even 12 or 24 months. We're seeing tenure of, of senior marketers being just over a year or, 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 or even less in some cases. So there's a real concern, I think, with that focus. So I think it's important that we set the tone, and I say we as senior marketers set yeah. the tone in terms of saying, well, you brought me on with expertise to set the strategy for the organisation 
and set the tone for what that narrative is going to be to our external audiences and to let that breathe, to let that percolate and come forth in a considered way. Do you think the organisation, did you have to educate them on that or did, were you fortunate in this case at, at Nucleus Network that you had a sort of a, an understanding C-suite that was prepared to support you in that sort of period of reflection and discovery? Again, a really good question. The great thing about the C-suite or the executive, my fellow executives at Nucleus is that they have an appetite to grow and they have an appetite to be willing to listen to to those who have come externally into the organisation with specific skill sets. They're hiring professionals. They're hiring those with certain skill sets to come in and help them grow. So fortunate in that they're really listening so far. <laughs> and, um, and at this point, giving me the bandwidth to be able to to grow uh, what I think needs to happen for yep. the organisation and to set forth on certain strategic priorities. So now you are, you, you've had that period. Clearly, you don't have all the answers yet. You mentioned that one of the, the real challenges that you've immediately identified is this B2B, B2C, the balance of mm. business and, and consumer. What are some of the other sort of immediate challenges that you've identified so far? For us, it's about that narrative around who we are, what we do, and provide that in a compelling way. And also, at the same time, simultaneously trying to integrate a technology stack that has not previously been, uh, I suppose, infused within the organisation. So there's this, there's this, been this undercurrent of work even before I arrived. Yeah. Um, I must say, in terms of integrating technologies. So now, as I come in, it's about what layers we need to focus on, where the the effort needs to be, yeah. and then making that into a meaningful content narrative for our audiences. So I think one of the great challenges for us at the moment and a great opportunity, um, conversely, is the fact that we're able to create this fresh narrative for an audience that I believe has a real appetite to hear from organisations like ours in a compelling way. So if you look at a lot of our competitor sites or a lot of our client sites, you'll see this consistent sort of language and narrative. I want to reframe that. So yep. come in with a fresh lens to talk about ultimately the outcomes, the human aspect of what we do, um, the fact that we're at the cutting edge of medicine and science and research and are really at that ground zero point where it's first in human trials, that needs to be brought out. And I think there's, I believe there's a real appetite with our audiences to do that, both on the B2B and B2C side. So one of the, the next challenges I have is creating the right ecosystem or team around me. So because it's a Greenfields role, it's about understanding what we need. So again, still early days, but already I can see gaps in where the organisation really requires certain skill sets and really building a team around me that brings in those certain specialisations. So I think that diverse team and building up of that diverse team is another critical step in really the evolution of Nucleus Network. Let's talk about the storytelling. If I'm hearing correctly, what you're saying is that a lot of the a lot of the market that you're in and the, com the competitors, the other companies that are doing this kind of work, their, their communication tends to be fairly dry and functional and that you're, you've identified that actually there, there's, some inherent, there's some inherent excitement and some inherent energy and some inherent positivity. Perhaps, you know, obviously on the positivity side, you're doing clinical trials, helping people's lives, but some of that hasn't been extended into the kind of communication that perhaps the competitive organisations and even your organisation has delivered in the past. 
Sounds like an answer wrapped up in a question. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, to unpack that further, you're spot on. I think, I think there's a there's a certain industry language, and you'll find that in a lot of um, industries where you walk into, and there'll be a certain vocabulary or playbook that they'll use. And I'm finding the same within our industry. So I believe there's a real opportunity to bring to life stories that that really tell a compelling and new and fresh narrative in a way that's a lot more, um, let's call it humanistic. So the fact that we are working with human human patients, if you like, or, or human participants is a really compelling story in itself. The fact that we are working with biotechs who are at the cutting edge of, you know, potentially new life-saving or life-extending medicines, that's a great narrative in itself. So we have the potential to really explode those stories into what I believe are compelling narratives. So I see enormous opportunity and uplift in where we can go with that. And is there, a, is there an element of serendipity in this for you? Because the, it does feel that the world is moving more towards purpose and meaning in the brands. Maybe there's a sense of, of as we become more more educated consumers, a sense of um, cynicism about marketing and advertising generally. And so mm. people are looking for more. You, you're fortunate to be in a business that actually inherently has meaning and purpose in it. Yep. That's an advantage. If you were selling shoes, are you better off than if you were selling shoes? Or can you, do, <laughs> can you find purpose and meaning in, in pretty much all marketing roles? That's a big question. I, I think you can. I think if you, if you look at an industry in which you work, uh, a lot of my colleagues, peers, contemporaries in marketing would be uh, would be of the same opinion that you can find meaning in what you do. But I think it's bringing that to the fore that's the real challenge for marketers. So yes, purpose has been the buzzword for a number of years now and some are saying that it might be have been overcooked, it's, it's had its day, it's had its time. I still believe that purpose is, is that ultimate you know, North Star that really guides a lot of organisations and also attracts top talent. So it is proven time and time again that purpose is an attractor of top talent. I myself was attracted to this role, not saying I'm top talent, but just no, that, that idea that... Yeah, I understand. It's a good point, yeah. The idea that the organisation is one with a purpose that is oriented towards extending human life or saving human life um, is quite personal to me. So that for me meant that already I could see myself in a position where I could make a difference. So we're finding more and more and a generational shift as well where purpose really has a lot of currency when it comes to talent attraction. Not to underestimate also the impact it has with our client base. So our clients will look to organisations that have a clear purpose. Obviously, they're looking for a, they're looking for value, they're looking for um, speed and quality and cost, but they're also looking to an organisation that can articulate itself. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is how I make the world different. And I think a brand that can say those things and say them authentically and confidently really stands head and shoulders above its competitors. So purpose for me is 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 here to stay. It's not. I don't think it's been a trend. I think it's really a. It's really an aspect of who we are intrinsically as humans, we're looking for that purpose personally. And because our workplace has become so amorphous within our lives that that's a natural extension. So we look for that purpose in the workplace too. And thinking back to, to this dual audience challenge that you have, 
how much of that um, storytelling and the underlying purpose and the values of the brand, do you have any initial thoughts about how much of that will be consistent in the way you execute your messages to those two? Clearly, it can't, you can't be having two totally different messages to two audiences, but how, just how intertwined are they? Is it one message to two audiences? Is it the same message delivered in different ways or are they subtly or materially different messages? Look, there is some coalescing of the messages. Ultimately, they will be different because we are talking about different customer personas and archetypes. So, and that's another piece of work that we're undertaking at the moment. So that development of understanding who our um, customer personas are. So from both the B2B and B2C side, we're talking about very distinct groups. So the messaging has to be tailored. If we talk about uh, storytelling um, at its most powerful from a corporate narrative, it really has to be tailored to specific audiences. So we're working on developing exactly who those and understanding who those audiences are. So we cannot repurpose and repackage something that we'll say to a particular audience A and just spit it out to audience B. It really needs to be considered and tailored accordingly. So there's a big piece of work that we're doing in that space. But it's an exciting piece because we're essentially using, as you say, the same data sets, the same outcomes, the same story, but a totally different delivery system and narrative. So a really exciting opportunity for a marketer. I'd love if you can tell us a little more about that sort of discovery phase and understanding your audience, just sort of functionally, very pragmatically. We've talked quite sort of high level, but pragmatically, what are you doing? What kind of research formats are you using? So we're actually working with some external consultants as well. So we're using uh, some market research organisations to help us unpack some, some real clear insights from our audiences, particularly around the B2C component, the participant journey, what that looks like, um, any pain points in there. We've got a couple of creative agencies also working with us in terms of looking at our purpose. So again, going back to that earlier statement about who we are and what we do, it's about we know what we do, but can we articulate it in, say, six or eight or ten words, what it is succinctly that we do? So working closely with some creative agencies for that, and I mention that because that's an important part of the customer narrative and journey as well. So we need to understand how we exist, why we exist, of course, and then how we deliver the messages and who we're delivering them to. So those archetypes are starting to emerge in our customer research. And I'm personally undertaking some client interviews as well because I want to get, I want to look under the hood. I don't want to be a marketer that sits uh, behind a, a series of spreadsheets or, or looking at MarTech solutions. So um, very much in the weeds in terms of understanding who are our clients, spending time at our actual clinics, understanding how the work is done, talking to both participants and those those pharma clients. That gives me a real insight into how we can then go back to that original premise of the storytelling and how we present that to those clients. It strikes me, as I, I mentioned to you in the, as we were chatting before we came on air, that I'd just come from a 50th birthday lunch. Um, happy birthday, Sam Furphy, um, which is the name behind the beer. Um, Great. Lion, I've just been doing some interviews with blind interviews or, or un, unbranded interviews in a, in a group setting with um, beer drinkers. And the primary finding that they found around the the current Furfy Ale bottle, the number one blocker that they had never anticipated was that the bottle is too dark. Mm. And they t- totally missed through all of their, all of the time they sat 
in their studio thinking about their planning. It wasn't until I actually went out and listened into conversations yep. and found that people were simply, without tasting the beer, without thinking about the, any of the brand messaging, were simply ruling it out because the bottle was too dark. Yeah. So, well, I think, well, I, I don't know if I'm jumping the gun, Sam, but we might see a lighter bottled furfy beer on the market in the next, <laughs> in the next little while. You raise an interesting point, though, and, and that's critical. Like, customer listening has got to be a, a top priority for marketers. So whether you're selling beer, whether you're, you know, selling shoes again, or, or whether you're trying to sell the services of a clinical research organisation, ultimately, you've got to listen to your audiences. You've got to really unpack what matters to them. We can make a lot of assumptions and we have deep experience working with a number of brands, but ultimately you've got to talk to that particular relevant audience in a way that they want to be communicated to. And there can be some simple roadblocks to going from a really good brand to an outstanding brand. And, you know, obviously Furfy are on the way to, to doing that because they are a really solid business, a great brand. And just that pure insight about, well, the bottle's too dark. <laughs> that's That's priceless to me. So that provides a great opportunity for the marketing team um, and those around customer engagement to really transform the next evolution of that particular brand. And, you know, it's the same that we're doing uh, with our external um, creative agencies. We're trying to understand through market research and through also internal analysis, looking inward as well um, as outward, what it is that we want to say to particular audiences and who we're saying it to. So it's a great journey ahead. You mentioned earlier another aspect that you need to draw your attention to is the use of technology, marketing technology within the organisation, that perhaps there are some platforms that are underutilised. I know from our chats prior to this that you you have uh, a healthy caution for technology. Is, mm-hmm. is that also related to this human aspect that we're talking about, connection with customers? Is there, is there a risk of have some marketing teams gone too far towards technology and automation and lost in the, is that one of the downsides of technology? Yeah. That but Look, technology is a great tool, and I think that's the key word. It's a tool. It's a conduit to reaching audiences. I think as soon as we start to rely on it for replacement of what is understanding of the customer, what is clever marketing or valuable marketing, then we get lost in the actual you know glitz of the actual technology itself. So... Ultimately, I believe that technology needs to be woven into a broader strategy about understanding how the customer wants to be communicated to and with. So using using your content, using your storytelling, using your different channels to communicate with them, the technology stack is really enabler of that, being able to communicate in a seamless way with, with participants but for our business is really critical. So particularly when we're talking about multiple appointments, etc. So I'm seeing the introduction of Salesforce and Marketing Cloud coming into fruition in our organisation, and that's really powerful in terms of Salesforce is obviously not new, but for an organisation that has come from an environment where that was not apparent, it's a huge learning curve. It's a great opportunity, but there's a lot of work to be done in terms of data cleansing. So there's a real opportunity there to uplift our performance and communication with our clients and our participants but we've got to be mindful that that not not to lean too far into that, and yeah. hence my big focus on content and storytelling and narrative, because ultimately, and I could be biased because you know my background is a journalist. I think that for me that becomes the priority. The written word is always, or the spoken word in this yeah. case, is always the priority. Ultimately, 
marketing is about communication. And the good technology is the technology that enables the better delivery of yeah. communication in exactly. all sorts of directions. Exactly, yep. So good technology will enable you to deliver those messages in a seamless way, but it also allow you to understand how, for example, David likes to be communicated with, don't annoy him on a Sunday, he's having his furphy, <laughs> he's kicking back, but a Monday he loves to receive his email notification. So that sort of intel without crossing the creepy line is really valuable for us. So we're able to then target messages to particular audience segments as well. So let's turn briefly to life before Nucleus Network. Clearly, and we've talked, you've articulated really well how you were very, you resisted and and were very conscious of not bringing sort of preformed ideas and prior solutions to your current role. How much of it is transferable? How much of what you're doing now is would is the same kind of approach that you were taking in your previous role and your role before that? I think it would be it would be misleading of me to say that it's a totally fresh start. It's it's all brand new. I think you're high because you're a specialist at what you do. So a surgeon is taken into an operating theatre because they are specialists in what they do. So. I think if we use that analogy, I've been brought on to really bring life to Nucleus Network, yep. if you like, from a marketing perspective and a business development perspective. So there's a lot of transferable skills. I think you, over your career journey and just in life in general, as as one becomes more experienced, you learn, you watch for cues, you listen a lot more, you'll ask a lot more questions and then you can form an informed opinion. So I think from a marketing point of view, I'm coming in with, yes, years of experience, but also a fresh approach to a fresh organisation, which is in a, uh, well, a vastly new industry for me. So I'm coming in with a a fresh perspective, but also this, um, let's say, you know, bag of ideas and um, tactics and techniques that have worked previously. So I need to see what's going to work, what needs to be fresh and make basically an amalgam of all of that into, you know, a sustainable long-term growth for the brand. Would it have been a safer career move for you to go into an industry that you were more familiar with? So, yes, it would be safe to work in a similar industry or an allied industry, but I think as a marketer, you want to stretch yourself. You want to create an environment where you're pursuing new goals, but you're also self-educating in a new, brand new space. So the marketing techniques and skills that were applicable just 12 months ago, yes, they're still applicable now, but the way in which you use them, the way in which you may have to tweak them is is really what's exciting for a marketer because you're you're in a totally new space and paradigm. So for me, that's, that's the exciting thing. You know, yes, there's the comfort zone aspect, but I think if you want to grow professionally and personally, you always need to be looking for those stretch goals. What about from the employer side, do you think there's a tendency amongst organisation and amongst senior marketers when hiring more junior marketers and junior roles? Do you think, is it unfair to say that some hires are too, many hires are too conservative and tend to, I imagine um, Nucleus Network could potentially have hired a marketing director from within the life sciences or the pharmaceutical mm. or the clinical trials industry, and that they may have perceived that as a safer yep. option. Were they? Does that happen, or is that is that an unfair? Are most hires these days 
do, do they share the view that you're expressing? Is no, I think, I think you're actually onto something. I think from my experience, I've seen a lot of, let's say, hiring managers or recruiters look for same, same. They, uh, this particular person has done X, Y, Z, tick box. They'll be good for this role. And I've seen time and time again that person fail in that role. I think, I think we're at a stage where we need to look for skills, you know, sort of almost do we need a new a new paradigm for the CV, for our resumes and the way in which we hire people. Yeah. I think so. I think it's it's looking beyond that. I think social tools are great because you're unable to look at people's credentials, their careers very quickly and get a sense of what they've done and how they've done it. Not, not so much about maybe where they've worked previously, but I look for those other cues. So when I'm a hiring manager myself, I'm looking for someone who's importantly got the right cultural fit and attitude why do they want to work with us? I think those really basic questions are important. Yes, the technical skills are required, et cetera. That's, let's park that for a moment. That's a given. But yeah. I think that's, that, I suppose that sameness in wanting to hire people from within the same industry, I think, I think you're missing out on great opportunities there. And I think that's why uh, the Nucleus approach to me was, was so refreshing because they were looking for some fresh ideas. They were looking for someone outside the industry. And I think the more organisations do that, the healthier, I suppose, our marketing ecosystem will be because we're going to get marketers with a broad range of skills within the Australian landscape. And if you don't, it actually closes the loop right back to what you were saying earlier, which is you tend to find these industries where all of the marketing communication uses the same set of language. No wonder it is because yep. we're hiring the same people yep. within the industry. So, of course, we're not breaking through that paradigm and getting anything fresh or yeah. new inside. Of course, it's going to start saying yeah. the same, same. And you're not getting marketers who are questioning. So, well, that's great that you've done that for the last 10 years, but why? Have you stopped to think about why? What do your customers think about what you're saying and how you're saying it? So... I think there's tremendous opportunities out there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly not one for same-same. Thanks to Rick Navarro for giving up his time to appear on MarCast. In part two, Rick and Dave try to define marketing as it exists today and address its image in the corporate boardroom. That one's up soon.